Are you ready? How does my hair look? It looks really nice. It looks really pretty. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Oh God. <laughs> Don't make me laugh already. Okay. Hello, I'm Isabel. And I'm Jessica. And this is The, the Greatest, Greatest Genre. Genre. AKA Romanticy, where we will be dissecting and fully fangirling oh, yeah. the exhaustive works <laughs> of Sarah J. Mass, starting with A Court of Thorns and Roses. Exactly. And today we'll be focusing on Akita, chapters 11 through 15. <gasps> the first portion. Packed episode <laughs> First portion of this episode will be completely spoiler free. We're going to be speaking exclusively about the events that unfold within those chapters, mm -hmm. sharing thoughts and analyses, and also referencing events from previous chapters. Second portion of today's episode will be a very different story. For those of you who have not already read all the way through Akatar, <laughs> Tog, and Crescent City, and who do not want to be exposed to spoilers, stay away! We will give you very clear order slash direction slash command slash announcement to exit the podcast. An alert in every sense of the word. You will know when we are entering spoiler land. So. Yes, you most certainly will. Because everything is on the table. Everything is on the table. Some quick housekeeping notes before we kick off today's episode. Firstly, please note that The Greatest Genre does, from time to time, contain adult content and adult language, as does the series itself. So, if you are not prepared for discussion about the effects of feral rage... Oh my god. And primal fury, <laughs> then perhaps this is not the episode for you. Help me, I'm but it dying is already. definitely the episode for us. We are so excited. Uh, secondly, if you have not already, please subscribe to our podcast and our YouTube channel. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but we do recommend our YouTube channel so you can see our faces. And we really love sharing our favorite fan art and other very important visual aids as we have these chats. Yes, it really just adds an awesome extra dimension to the discussion. So yes. you should definitely check out our YouTube channel. Also, please follow us on your favorite social media platform. We're on Instagram at the underscore greatest genre, on Twitter at the greatest genre, or you can email us at thegreatestgenre at gmail.com. Amazing. <laughs> and finally, a request to please keep things kind. Yes. In the comments section, we love this genre, we love this community, and we can all disagree on which way is finest while being respectful of one another's opinions. Isabel. Jessica. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm so excited. Okay. So I think it's time to return to Prithian. Oh, yes. And it is it. We left on a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. We did. Would you like to remind us of what happened at the end of chapter... Ten? Certainly. I certainly can. Okay. So, for those of you who, maybe you've come back to us after a long absence, maybe you were traveling doing something exciting, a refresher, we left Feyre very, very shocked to see her father appearing under the moonlight, walking towards the manor of the Spring Court. SJM knows how to put a cliffhanger at the end of a chapter. Does she ever. So, let's dive in. Dive right back in. All right. Tell us what happens in chapters 11 through 15. Chapter 11. Feyre doesn't spare a second or a single article of clothing that she's been given in the last few days as she races to climb out of her window and run to her father. But before she can reach him, a massive hand 
grabs her. It's a problem when they describe them like that. Do you remember, listeners, big hands, very hot. Yes, another indicator of hotness in the romantic yes. genre. So massive hand catches her. And he reveals to her that what she was running towards was not actually her father, but actually a creature called a puka, which <laughs> does not sound menacing, but it will lure you to your death by appearing as the things which you most desire. Feyre <laughs> despairs and beseeches Tamlin to let her go, begging him not to force her to break her vow to her mother. And he explains to her that by remaining in Prithian, she is fulfilling her vow, and that so long as she remains there, her family is well cared for. Chapter 12. Feyre wakes up from a nightmare, and when she cannot fall back to sleep, she decides to wander the halls in pitch darkness to try and familiarize herself with the manor. It's really flawless logic from the Huntress <laughs> here at this time. Um, while she is trying to map out the halls and rooms in the dark, Tamlin returns from hunting the boggy, and Feyre notices he is wounded. They go to the infirmary, where they have a moment of connection while Feyre bandages his hand. Sparks are flying left and right. We will get into this later. The next day, Feyre overhears a mysterious conversation between Tamlin and Lucian, which we will also unpack later. And then Tamlin shows Feyre to the study. In the study, Tamlin offers to help her write a letter to her family, since she is illiterate. But <laughs> don't, don't say it like that. It's it not her fault she's illiterate. I didn't say it like it was it, her fault. You sounded a little snide. Is she or is she not illiterate? She is, but the way you said it, I felt like it was kind of mean. I was just making sure people had context. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Resume. So Tamlin offers her help writing this letter to her family, but Feyre refuses. Tamlin bristles at being rejected once more by Feyre and leaves in a bit of a huff, which I understand. Later on, she takes a break to wander through the study and she comes across a mural, which we will discuss in great detail because there's a lot of important information there. Yeah. After analyzing the events depicted in this mural, she realizes that she needs to know a lot more about this land that is going to be her home. She has a lot of questions. And what does she do? To go get answers to these questions? Well, tell me. She marches herself straight to Lucian's bedroom, which I think we both would have done several oh days earlier. Oh my god! We ride hard for Lucian. Oh my goodness. It's a problem. She finally marches herself to Lucian's bedroom, and we will discuss the sensuality of Lucian's bedchamber at a later date. <laughs> but the important part here is that she succeeds in getting Lucian to tell her how to capture Asturio which we know from previous chapters is a creature that will tell you anything you want to know if yes. you can catch it. <clears throat> so he gives her very clear instructions and then somewhat cryptically advises her to scream if she should need help at any point. Hmm. Comforting stuff. Chapter 14. Feyre sets up the trap and does capture the cereal with relative ease. Kind of seems like the cereal let it happen, but we can talk about that later. The serial tells her some very important bits of information, but their chat is cut short when suddenly the serial says they are not alone and that the Naga are coming, which is very menacing, actually. Yes, they sound scary. They sound very scary. <clears throat> Feyre moves to free the serial, but it is too late as four Naga emerge from the trees. These Naga are straight nightmare fuel. 
Yeah. Straight nightmare fuel. Chapter 15, excuse me. In an impressive show of bravery, Feyre manages to free the cereal, take down one of the Naga, and scream her bloody lungs out before fleeing for her life towards the manor. She is sprinting, (coughs) but the Naga catch up with her, and she's eventually surrounded. She tries to fight them off, manages to wound another one, but eventually winds up pinned to the ground. And as she prepares for death, there is suddenly (laughs) a roar. Oh, God. And Tamlin bursts onto the scene and saves her. And this is where we get the aforementioned feral rage and primal fury in case anybody was Yeah, wondering. what of that when Tam saves Feyre from he the Naga? He saves her, he slays the Naga, all of them. And then he gently approaches her. So Realizes gently. that she is hurt, heals her with his magic. And if that wasn't enough, he removes his tunic. How dare he? And gives it to her. He helps her to her feet and they make their way home. And that is the end of chapter 13. Wow. So much happens there in these so, chapters. Oh my god, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> I'm so excited. I think my my blood pressure just went up a little bit. I mean, the Naga are scary. They are. And Tamlin is very is hot very when he saves her. So I think we should talk about Tamlin and Feyre, actually. Because yes, I agree. this is a big five chapters for them. Yeah, and like definitely major milestones are met. Forward progress mm-hmm. for the first time exactly. for these two. And their kind of, dare we say, relationship? I don't point? know. So, like, I feel like Feyre kind of has a shift in momentum. This happens directly after Tamlin stops mm. her from going off to the Puka, which I can't really say. With We will discuss that momentarily. <laughs> but this, she kind of has a shift in momentum here. Like, she's gone from being hell-bent on getting back home, thinking that she is, is the not... The only thought in her mind is escape. Exactly. Thinking that she is not fulfilling her vow that she made mm-hmm. to her mother. And every single decision, every single thought that's in her head, when you reread this, literally every single line that she has is basically, how can I escape from Prithian? Mm-hmm. How can I do this? How can I get back to my family? And then Tamlin kind of drops this bomb, and he says, you are fulfilling your vow. Right. By staying away they're better taken care of now than they ever were when right. you were caring for them and i think this is tough affair to hear right because it's like on one hand she's relieved because yeah she's freed in a way and then she's also immediately feels so empty because all that she's had her sole purpose in life was this vow and keeping her family alive and now with this it's sort of moment of clarity from Tamlin. It's like she can't even enjoy the freedom that she has achieved because she just immediately feels like now she has nothing. Yeah, it's like a major, not just a momentum change, but like a directional shift for her as well. When you've been working towards something your entire life, yeah, had this one purpose, mm-hmm. you haven't been allowed to have hobbies, like explore other things that you love become really a person like figure out who you are yeah and now it's like she's allowed to do that all of a sudden but it's like oh it's kind of an offhand comment that Tamla made like they're well cared for don't worry about it and now she's like oh my god what do I do right that's a really big moment that happens at the beginning of these five chapters and I think that's kind of what allows some of the other thoughts maybe start kind of creeping into her head oh to do with absolutely because she's no longer 24 7 
thinking somebody's going to eat her. But yeah, no, I thought it was a really rich mix of emotions there for Feyre. And I also thought it was kind of the first time we see Tamlin have a little bit of compassion yeah, I for agree. Her. It's not so much that he's just trying to tell her what she wants to hear. He genuinely doesn't want her to feel this guilt anymore. Yeah. He's trying to assure her that she is doing the right thing and that her family is okay. He's not just blowing smoke up her ass because he's tired of being worried that she's going to run away. Yeah. Which I think is important and I think she feels that from him in that moment. He's genuinely trying to point something out to her that is going to give her some peace. I think it's ironic that the first time he's not trying to flood, he actually ends up making connection with her. Well, isn't that the way it always goes? It is. It's so lovely. (laughs) So, yes, forward progress. We know what it is. Each of their walls have kind of come down here for the first time. They have Mm -hmm. just this brief moment. Chapter 11 is that first emotional milestone with each other. 100%. Because Feyre finally opens up about how much this vow means to her. She Mm -hmm. says, it's it's my whole life. This is the only thing that matters to me. And it finally kind of clicks with Tamlin why she's been so desperate to go back. Because, you know, he's been like, what do you want to go back to? Your hovel? Which is not very nice. But he does now, make an effort to not say that to But her now friend. he gets it, you yeah. know? And now she actually trusts and believes him that her family is cared for. You know, because he's said that before, and she hasn't accepted it, but in this moment she does. So we also meet a new creature. Yeah, this Puka. We just need to take a minute. It To me, I'm sorry. Puka is like... It's the small dog from Anastasia. Puka. For me, it's like... Luke's puka shells from the OC around his neck. That's what I think of. <laughs> I just, I just want to know. Does Welcome SJM, to the OC, bitch. Does SJM have like a background in some kind of other language? Like, where is she finding these names? I don't know, but puka does not strike fear into my heart. Neither does Boggy. And by the way, we have confirmed there was a brief moment we thought we were saying it wrong, and it was actually my the bog. audiobook was gaslighting me and pronouncing it bog, and it went really. <laughs> Gave me a crisis because I was like, Isabel, <laughs> we've been saying it wrong. Oh my God. <laughs> but we have consulted the wiki, internet, mm-hmm. you know, fandoms, and the general consensus from the Sarah J. Mass community is that it is pronounced boggy. boggy. But again. So we're feeling fairly confident, but if you have insider information, we would love to hear it. Not striking fear in the hearts of men. Yeah. Hookah, <laughs> boggy. These do not sound like menacing creatures. (laughs) The surreal, at least, sounds mysterious. That sounds like something that is shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Maybe a little spooky, but not menacing. You know, not malicious or insidious. Yeah, I agree with that. And also that's because of what we find out about the surreal in chapter 14. Oh, yes. All in good time. (laughs) All in good time. After this little nighttime run-in with Tamlin. We also love a nighttime run-in. It's the moonlight. You go down for a glass of water. I can't sleep. Oh, we meet no. in the kitchen. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are we going to do? What do we know. do now, trapped in this intimate moment with but one and all? SJM knows exactly what she is doing. Yes, she does. And so she does it very well. Remember that Feyre actually had not yet gone to bed. Because she was waiting up for Tamlin. So she goes upstairs, she goes, tries to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. She has a horrible nightmare. She wakes up from this nightmare and can't go back to sleep. So she's wandering around in the dark trying to make a map. Which we have some notes. 
It just seems to me like this is the worst possible time <laughs> of day to try and do this. But I get it. She's she's up late. And the most important thing about what is about to unfold yes. is that Tamlin returns from his hunt. And he has, in fact, found and killed the Boggy. Oh my god. So this is when the infirmary scene happens. The bandaging. It's a problem. The bandaging. Oh my goodness. We live for this trope. It's one of the best ones. It's a classic for a reason. Pulling it up. Feyre notices that Tamlin is bleeding. And she's like, you're hurt. So Tamlin arrives. He is kind of slumped against the edge of the table. He's clearly been through something very traumatic. His eyes are on her, on her like a brand. Like he is depleted of his energy. Hmm. He has no he has no space for the for the banter or anything right now. Mm-mm. It kind of comes down to this moment. Favor just has to help him, and he just allows himself to be helped. And this is such a consistent win in this genre. This it's scene really really gets my blood going every single time. It's fantastic, and like I said, it is a classic for a reason. This is, first and foremost, a wonderful, wonderful homage to Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. After he saves her from the wolves and she bandages his arms. Yes, it is. But, I mean, we get this, we get this in Outlander. Oh my god, that first scene. And she has to bandit, she has to set his shoulder. What's great is that normally the man has to be somewhat unclothed while this happens. It's true. We don't get that so much in this one because it's just his hand. But we do get it in uh, Outlander. Jamie is somewhat halfway dressed. Mm-hmm. It's just we also get it in, in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> he is technically bandaging her hand in that scene. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter who is bandaging who. It's so great. There oh is a God. lot of eye contact. Blacksmith hands. They're so rough. Okay, and you and I disagree on this too. Okay, so maybe you guys can email us because this is what Jessica and I really do. Are you about to come rub. for Will Turner? No, I'm, you don't think that calloused hands are hot. Oh, no. This is a quote from Jessica in the office the other day when I brought this up. I was like, oh my God, I have another indicator of hotness in a fantasy novel. Yeah. And it's calloused hands. I didn't say and she that was they like, I hot. Think I of, said it wasn't an indicator of total, like whole package hotness. I don't know. It normally means they've been wielding weapons. And you were like, I just think of crusty old men. Oh, you said something like that. I said <laughs> that. And I feel really strongly that you're incorrect. Okay. All I meant to imply was that you can have calloused hands and not be hot. Well, I am saying. Like, you, is what, that, if, what if the blacksmith, like, think about... Think about Robert Baratheon, Bobby B. He, he definitely is, had calloused hands from wielding his hammer all the time, and he is not hot. But do you know how I bet George R. R. Martin didn't describe him as having calloused hands? Because it is only used as a descriptor <laughs> so when you are the talking. The plate scratcher. <laughs> someone only ever writes it when they are talking about a hot dude's hands. Okay. You can be attracted to calloused hands. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying it doesn't do it necessarily. That descriptor I alone. I just don't like it when we disagree. Doesn't immediately tell me that they are hot. It just tells me that they are very capable. 
like very gritty but you like your men grittier than I do this is very true so this is where we <laughs> diverge anyways back to the bandaging because we actually have some we some have notes. some emotions here yeah we do there's some vulnerability where we at first sort of have our walls come down with the puka situation yeah we now actually I think have real vulnerability with the two of them yeah. Because Tamlin pays her a compliment and not about her hair being clean. He actually notices and is very impressed and has a clear amount of real respect for skills that have been very important to her. You know, he is exactly he's very impressed by the things that she has taught herself. And that's something that carries weight for her because it's the things that her sisters and her the rest of her family never acknowledged. And yeah. never appreciated. And I can I can read it out right here. He says, You can't write, yet you learned to hunt to survive. How? I paused with my foot on the threshold. That's what happens when you're responsible for lives other than your own, isn't it? You do what you have to do. He was still sitting on the table. And then he says, You aren't what I expected for a human. And there is just a lot of charged energy here. The sexual tension is... You could cut it with a knife. With a knife. That is all... That's not necessarily a trope because it's just sort of one line. Mm-hmm. But that line in Romanticy, you aren't what I expected, we're off to the races. Oh, yeah. You already know it's game on. It's happening. This. It's this scene here, this theoretical moment in every Romanticy book where I really... For me, this is when it starts. <laughs> I've been reading for 12 chapters. This is this is the starting line for me. I think that's why it was so exciting for us to kind of like reread the first 10 chapters mm-hmm. because you see things on Book Talk and on Instagram yes. and you're like looking for when like that story between those two mm-hmm. people begins. But when you're rereading it, there's like a lot of rich stuff that goes. Oh, I speed through it because I'm waiting for this moment. But you and I already, and as those of you who listened to the spoiler sections of previous episodes, you and I already picked up on so much stuff that is in those first ten chapters that we never. She just there's not a single scene in her books that exists with no purpose to it. Yeah, which is, in my opinion, the mark of a really wonderful writer. There's no such thing as fluff. Except I... for the asparagus and the peas on the table. Oh no, I forgot about the asparagus. Why did you have to remind Sorry. me? <laughs> so the next morning, Feyre is skulking around in the daylight as opposed to the moonlight. And she does a little bit of eavesdropping. Oh yes, well she's intending to go look at the artwork on the wall. She is, and for the first moment, and again mm-hmm. I think this is an effect of this shift in momentum. She's no longer focusing on escape. She's actually starting to let herself take in her surroundings. Mm-hmm. So she's wandering the halls looking at the beautiful art. And just a very quick note on that. Oftentimes when Farah is talking about painting mm-hmm. in her head, mm-hmm. she chastises herself, but it's always with Nesta's voice which is very interesting yes whenever she starts to feel shame about something it's nesta's voice she hears in her head which is i think a really subtle but i think very effective way for sjm to really make us understand how deeply affected Feyre has been by the verbal and kind of psychological abuse that she has lived with every day for the last eight years. And it's kind of an interesting and subtle way of character building people who aren't actually on right, the page. Right, right. Nesta's no longer a part of our day-to-day story, but she's still very present. She is. 
I would say more so than Elaine and her father a little bit and her mother definitely when we were talking about the mm-hmm. vow that kind of doesn't fizzle it's definitely still mentioned but right. once she's released of that duty mm-hmm. she holds on to that last but Nesta is still very much in her head a lot very <clears throat> much in her head yeah and she's lost in all of these thoughts as she's wandering until she stumbles upon a certain open door yes a conversation between a certain redhead male mm. and a golden head male yes. with green eyes and a strong jaw. Both masked. Both masked. God, I forgot. I keep forgetting about the mask. This is such a problem for me. I kind of like it. I know you do. It's mysterious. I know. We overhear, and by we I mean Feyre, overhear a conversation happening between Tamlin and Lucian. Mm-hmm. They are disagreeing on something. And before we go any further, I'm going to open the wine. Just taught me up a little bit. Okay. Feyre overhears Tamlin and Lucian discussing something. They are clearly having some sort of disagreement. Yes, trouble in paradise. Lucian starts off this argument. Or she overhears starting it. By the cauldron, Tam. By, by the cauldron. <laughs> Not the cauldron. This is fine because... We get the cauldron's history in a little bit, but this just never fails to make me laugh when anyone says by the cauldron. Yeah. Or from the bottomless depths of the cauldron. What in the bottomless depths of the <laughs> cauldron? Yes. Anyway, right. cauldron clearly, exclamations. Clearly Lucian is angry at Tamlin about something. Tamlin is saying that... It's like they're having a lover's spat. A little bit of a lover's quarrel. Tamlin is saying that something was a mistake from the start. He's clearly talking about something to do with humans, since he says, I can't stomach it, not after what my father did to their kind, to their lands. I won't follow in his footsteps, so back off. And then Lucian retaliates by saying, back off while you seal our fates and ruin everything. I stayed with you out of hope, not to watch you stumble. For someone with a heart of stone, yours is certainly soft these days. Mm. What a riddle. He's pissed. Stealing off fates is no... Ruining everything? Yeah. So it's clearly something big is going on here that Feyre, for the first time, I think her antenna antenna kind Mm -hmm. of goes up for the first time here. That there is more to this than just her circumstance. And this is also interesting because this is the first time we've seen this dynamic between Lucian and Tamlin. It's been Mm -hmm. very much banter up until this point. Very clearly, Tamlin is the one who is in charge. He is the lord of whatever lands we are in. But there has always been like a friendly banter between them. Whereas this is the first time that... Or at least a very clear hierarchy. We've certainly mm-hmm. never... You know, we saw him sort of snap at Lucian at the dinner table once or twice. But it's all but Lucian good, very fun, quickly, kind of. you know, yeah. fell in line. And this is very different because I think Lucian's tone here is not one of respect. This is a friend... Calling you on your bullshit. Right. And this is the first time that Lucian doesn't just kind of fall into line and he exposes his teeth. Yeah, and he's pushing back and he's angry about something. And then Tamlin gets dangerously quiet, which is... Oh my god, we hate it when they go dangerously quiet. Do we? I mean... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> But this is the first indication in this chapter that something bigger is going on here than what it appears to be. Yes. And then Feyre accidentally gets caught, which is hilarious. And super embarrassing when you've been caught really red-handed. Really tough stuff. <laughs> really tough stuff. And she covers it up by saying, I don't want to go for a ride. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just not great. And then she gets rejected. There's really no way out of that. But valiant effort. Yeah, no, she did her best. Uh, very did. tough look for Farah. So and instead, then, what happens is Tamlin shows Farah to his study. It's really more of a library, it sounds like to me. And here she ponders how to get a message to her family. Yeah, she wants to write them a letter. She wants to try and warn them about the blight. And in this library slash study, mm-hmm. there is a mural. And before she finds the mural, we have another interesting exchange between Tamlin and Pharaoh. So he offers to help her write a letter. Oh, and she's yeah. like, no, I want nothing to do with you. Oh, yes, he gets rejected. He gets rejected again. And I think she's being a little bit unreasonable here. Tamlin very fairly points out that she mm-hmm. seems to have accepted Lucian's company or Lucian's assistance with things, but she won't accept Tamlin's. And her response to Tamlin, I think, is a, falls a little bit flat. It seems like kind of a hollow excuse to me. She says that Lucian doesn't pretend to be something he's not. And it's like, yeah. what, and so what has what Tamlin do done by to that? indicate that he is what, being someone right. else? What is it that you think Tamlin is pretending to be? I think she's very weirded out by the shape-shifting, because she's very fixated on the claws that hide under his skin. Mm. I think that's very metaphorical that she feels like there's a lot that he's hiding, which in all fairness, actually, now that I'm talking this out, you know, especially given what she just overheard, she probably does feel like he's hiding stuff and he is putting on a front. And Lucian isn't in a position to be able to tell her whatever Lucian wants to tell her or he's not allowed to. Tamlin is clearly the one making the rules in this situation. And is this where we get the line... Eventually, where Tamlin asks her if anyone's ever taken care of her. Yes, this is where we get that line. Okay. And I do love that line. Swoon. Swoon. Fan self. Mm-hmm. Also, something I noticed in this chapter when I was rereading it was the way she's speaking about, and I wonder if my sisters would even care if I sent this letter. It's kind of another testament to they didn't seem to care about her, and mm-hmm. she is still so loyal to them. It makes me sad. Like, it does make me sad. I think it shows her heart. I think she's just led a very sad life these chapters up on them these chapters are kind of that stepping stone to in later chapters where she starts to actually experience happiness and she has important this is a very big emotional i think stepping stone too Mm -hmm. but she has to go through these little trials and tribulations as she gets that no it's it's a journey and i think that's one thing that sjm writes exceptionally Mm -hmm. well i think it puts her writing kind of in its own league is the way that she writes Mm-hmm. the internal metamorphosis that a lot of her characters go through, especially her female characters. Yeah. She knows how to write about struggle. Yeah, she does. And I think that's why so many people, especially women, have fallen in love with her books. Not only because they're fun, they're romantic mm-hmm. but she speaks about the evolution between depression and healing yourself so well and that journey. Whether you've experienced that or if you haven't experienced that, you've experienced something along the way. You can always identify with something that she is writing about. I was, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking in my head because even though Feyre's specific circumstances and the specific struggles that she's going through, the way that SJM writes about how it feels Mm -hmm. is so relatable. And it's that catharsis that that we talked about, I think, in episode one where everybody has felt like they have some sort of insurmountable obstacle that they can't overcome. You know, Feyre is trying to teach herself to write. Feyre is trying to 
leave behind the guilt that she feels about leaving her family. She's trying to overcome this terror of all of the things that she's now surrounded by. And the girl is 19. She's 19 years old. I, When I was 19 years old, I wasn't smart enough to be afraid of anything. <laughs> A little fear would have done you some good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From what I heard, that is true. <laughs> so we get this moment between Tamlin and Feyre. <clears throat> he then leaves. After being rejected. Yes. And the and Feyre just pours her little heart into trying to learn all the words that she needs to learn to write this letter, which is so heartbreaking. It's so... I don't know why. It makes me so sad. I think it's because you and I reading, and I think the reason why this is so sad for everyone reading this book, is reading has always been a huge source of joy for us. Yeah. And was- imagine not having that as a kid like how many memories do you have well it's also probably why she loved painting so much mm-hmm. oh, now I get it no that was a but it was time. <laughs> but it was even like the way that she described how it was so hard for her to like hold the the pencil, pe- the pencil and how ugly like her letters were you know that would oh well it's that, that would be feeling so of hard. shame and embarrassment she, is. she feels so ashamed and shame is one of these central human emotions and we've all felt it in some capacity and it is just so tough but i love the way she pushes through it always yeah. you know pharaoh does feel this shame about a lot of things but she she is so persistent she just yeah. grits her teeth and pushes through it every time and I think that's really she is inspiring to read how to overcome adversity but she does need a break so she wonders so she wonders as, as she you know what she's under she's, she's under a good wonder <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she comes across this spectacular mural and I am going and to this is just <laughs> packed with significant nuggets so we want to make sure that we get them all down here she sees this beautiful mural that depicts the story of Prithian mm-hmm. origin story all the way through postmodern Prithian if you will we are going to discuss some of this in the spoiler section so for those of you mm-hmm. that have read this before mm-hmm. feel free to stick around for the spoilers at yeah the end. there's a lot of richness and for those of you who are reading it for the scene. first time, maybe go back and uh, read this portion again. <laughs> I would just say, pay attention. Again, SJM doesn't write anything without a purpose. Exactly. But the, the biggest takeaways for our immediate story here, I think, are A, all life began with the cauldron. It also tells us that there are seven different courts, and it kind of mm-hmm. goes through the, the well, descriptions and, of all of yes, them. Yes, and she sees the way they're mm-hmm. all laid out and where all the boundaries are. So she's getting a lay of the land, really, for the first time, not just in lore or in stories. Right. She's actually seeing it, kind of. You know, it would, it would almost be like reading through a history textbook of a place you've never mm-hmm. been to before. And with really great illustrations. Yeah, which is good because she... Cannot can't read. read. <clears throat> There's also some depictions of the fairy human history and like the very bloody battles that yeah. were clearly raging on for a long time. It's very dark, very violent history, the fae and the human, which makes sense when we think about the first couple of mm-hmm. chapters when all Feyre knew of the fae was that they were terrifying, brutal beings. 
who, you know, had brutalized humans and kept them as slaves, slaves. for a very long Yeah, time. no, they were slaves. And this is our first history lesson into Prithian. Like, we've seen the map at the beginning of the book. And again, such a great moment where the character is getting important context and we are riveted by it because this is not context for context's sake. This is a real moment that feels mm-hmm. like organic. something. It, it feels, feels organic. organic. And yet, Feyre is getting... Vital, vital information, information, and so are we, but we don't even notice that we're getting vital information. We're just kind of enraptured in this mural with Feyre. And that is damn good writing. It's really good writing. It's one of my favorite moments, actually. So I think the last thing to note here is that she sees all of Prithian in the tiny scrap of land mm-hmm. down below, and then the fairylands this is the map that we put up at the beginning of episode one Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing and then we've got a small island over off to the left called highburn but as much as many answers as it gives her it also leaves her with a lot of questions and because she still wants to gather all the information fairer being who she is Mm -hmm. she seeks out lucian Mm. to ask how she might trap a surreal Cue commentary on Lucian's bedroom. Okay. (laughs) Shall I just pull it up so we could read? I mean, I, yes. I would really love to hear the description of what Lucian looks like in his bedroom, actually, specifically. But it's interesting to note, too, that Feyre has now decided that she cannot rely on Tamlin or Lucian for sort of straight, full answers. No, never. So she has decided that she needs to go out and find these answers for herself from a source that she can trust is not going to withhold information from her. So first of all, she knocks on his doors and he says, come in, human. It's just Why is it so hot when he says it? It's because Lucian is the hottest one. I know that we're supposed to love Tamlin, but I'm sorry. I don't know what it is about Lucian. He just wins for me. It's his snark. Read about the hair. I eased open the door. The room was similar to mine in shape, but was bedecked in hues of orange and red and gold, with faint traces of green and brown, like being in an autumn wood. (laughs) But while my room was all softness and grace, his was mocked with ruggedness. Oh my god. Why is a rugged room so attractive? It's just so masculine. In lieu of a pretty breakfast table by the window, a worn work table dominated the space. Oh my god. Covered in various weapons. Oh no. That's also very That's attractive. Just I would have stood there in the door like this. <laughs> it was that he promptly sat. forgotten. Oh wait, you're gonna die. I was you're there. gonna die, get ready. It was there he sat, wearing only a white shirt and trousers, <gasps> his red hair unbound and gleaming like liquid fire. Oh, unbound hair. I imagine him with, like, I imagine with braids sometimes, too. I just think, I just think that his long hair is so sexual. It is. It's a problem. Tamlin's court-trained emissary, but a warrior in his own right. I would pay big money to watch Lucian fight something. So now we've discussed Lucian's bedroom. Anyways, so this is actually a very funny exchange, and I love the way SJM wrote it, where Feyre's like, hypothetically, if I was to do this thing, if one were, if I think she actually says, if I were a surreal, 
Where How would I... you capture me? And Lucian immediately knows what Lucian she's is getting savvy, at. But he just immediately plays along and he humors her in this whole hypothetical situation. Smucking at her the entire time. The banter is 10 out of 10. I have no notes. Mm-mm. No notes for this scene whatsoever. It's amazing. Pharaoh walks away with a plan and that involving is... a freshly slaughtered chicken or two. <laughs> <laughs> One very important note, though, uh, Lucian does tell Pharaoh to scream. He says, "If she if gets you into were trouble. to do this tomorrow afternoon, I might be nearby enough." To come offer some assistance if somebody were to scream. And she says. And just never breaking the act. You know what you know what it is? He commits to the character. And the bit. Feyre goes to the woods with her chickens. <laughs> Chicken carcasses. <laughs> and I think A it's so funny she says, she says some very perplexed kitchen staff. Like, <laughs> to be fair, if somebody just showed up in my kitchen and was like, I need some freshly butchered chicken. Also, imagine it. These And they're like, the you staff, want me to make you chicken? And she's like, no, no. I just want the dead chickens. So she takes said dead chickens into the woods mm-hmm. and she manages to capture a cereal. It takes her basically no effort. Yeah. From whatever she makes from the what, snare from how like everyone was talking about it, seconds. I thought it was gonna be like. And then she, this well, whole to thing. be fair, she does have to sit around and wait for a long time. She has snacks. She'd be alright. She has good snacks. Yeah, this which time. is worth mentioning. <laughs> Apples and cheese, fantastic. That is exactly what I would think would be in a rucksack in we've a fantasy come, realm. We've come a long way from the meats and sauces. I mean, it's better than peas. <laughs> it's better than peas and nondescript fish and asparagus and asparagus. <laughs> Now, apples and cheese is stamp of approval. I'm feeling good about it. So she's waiting for the cereal, who she captures, while snacking on apples and cheese. <sighs> you think we learned a lot from the mural? Big bomb drop from, from the cereal. The cereal. Uh, who is, we who all is actually positively gleeful, by the way, at being captured by a human. We are also going to throw up our favorite fan art of, of the, cereal. the cereal. This is by... Artworks by Roki. Again, mm-hmm. we love artworks by Roki, clearly. We'll post a few more. Well, we will repost, I guess is a better mm-hmm. word, on our social channels because there's so much incredible fan art out there and we have so many artists that we love. But this is one that we both really just immediately looked at and we were like, wow. Yeah, seriously. It's like, it just jumped to life right off the page. So the serial gives us a couple of important pieces of information. First of all, the serial tells Feyre that he is older than Prithian, older than the bones of the world. Where do they come from? We have no idea. He says so is he like stay, the original cereal? There are only a finite number of them. Right. Because like, they don't reproduce. Right. Exactly. Okay. So they're very rare. And we do and know that there are more than one. To capture. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Although I'm, I'm just going to say it. This isn't even a spoiler. Because I thought about it reading it this time. I was like, I think he, he let this happen. Born. I do. Because they're so mysterious. There are so few I'll of allow them. It. I'll allow it. I like that. If he really is older than the bones of the earth, and he's has all this wisdom, there's no way he accidentally walked into a snare because he found two slaughtered chickens <laughs> 
just just on the mysteriously like they dropped out of the sky. No, so anyway, I like I like your notes. I actually agree with you. And it's not, not I don't think I I think this is an Easter egg that SJM has laid out here for us. I think there is more here because the serial is positively gleeful. Yeah. When he sees that it's a human who's captured him. It's humanoid. It's described as being very very tall, tall. very thin. Sort of like a dementor. Once Ferris starts talking to the serial, it isn't scary at all. No. But I agree It doesn't have that menacing, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have a sinister feel to it. Exactly. Not Mm -hmm. like the boggy, because when the boggy came around, everything was cold. Yes. Right? And there was that sense of... It's almost Malice. like SJM drew inspiration from a number of different like, yeah, stories. Yeah, there's that, there's that, yes. Mixed now them all she, together. Now, Feyre does say that all of the other woodland life sort of scattered away and mm-hmm. went very quiet because the cereal is a predator at the end of the day. But this is different. And also, Feyre has proved herself to be maybe not the same. She doesn't react the same way that other people would react to things. She, that's true, because she's faced her fair share of scary fear things mm-hmm. in the past. So coming back, the cereal is tickled that it was captured by a human. And seems really all too happy to, to just... Divulging information. Now it does the tell most... her to ask, it challenges her to ask slightly better questions. Mm-hmm. But the biggest nugget of truth that right off the, the serial divulges, stay with the High Lord human, the serial said. That's all you can do. You will be safe. Do not interfere. Do not go looking for answers after today or you will be devoured by the shadow of a Prithian. He will shield you from it, so stay close to him, and all will be righted. He also reveals that Tamlin is the High Lord of the Spring Court. And that was a big nugget of truth that Pharaoh was not expecting. Okay. So you know what? I'm just going to ask you. Also, but can I just say, Tamlin was hiding something. We were all like, we were on Tamlin's side, and Pharaoh's like, you seriously didn't know? But Feyre, this is another one of those moments where I was about to be like, oh, Shocking. <laughs> Duh. But another theme in the romanticy genre mm. is that our main heroines... Sometimes they, they miss what is sort of right, right in, in front, front of their of noses. Them. Fair enough. They were as excellent at finding the exits and figuring out her escape plans. When survival is involved... Yes, where maybe some context clues about social dynamics. Yeah, or like flirtatious dynamics. We think a lot more of um, noticing Tamlin's muscles and such. Or trying very hard not to notice Tamlin in general. Wondering why she's worried about him. Hmm. Like, my girl. We know. You have a crush. Oh my god, she has a big crush. She has a crush on Tamlin. She has such a crush on Tamlin. I don't know how she doesn't have a crush on Lucian, but... The third and another very important piece of information that the serial gives us is that we get our first mention of Highburn. And now we saw Highburn was yes. that little island, island. kingdom. North. If you're looking if you're looking at the map, it is to the left. Slash it's island. island. If you're looking... <laughs> if it's you want to hold it up next island. to a map of... The UK. The United Kingdom. <laughs> it's... Island in Northern Ireland. That's Highburn. And we do get our first mention of this. Apparently, a hundred years ago, they started getting antsy over in Highburn. So, Highburn is clearly separate from Prithian. Yes. And ever since the treaty, mm-hmm. ever since the end of the very, very bloody war over human slavery, mm-hmm. he has been unhappy. He was not pleased that he had to give up his slaves. And I'm actually pretty sure he just sort of exterminated them all. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened too. And so if he can't have them as slaves, he just 
slaughtered them all, and he's been sulking and brewing and plotting over there on his island for a hundred years. And then about five decades later, the serial tells us, so 50 years ago about from mm-hmm. where we are in the story now, they started, infil- they being Hyburn, mm-hmm. they started infiltrating various fairy courts. Something clearly started happening about five decades ago when one of Hyburn's commanders, called the Deceiver, betrayed him and went off to do whatever it is that they were doing. So he sent his spies into Prithian. Then the Deceiver went rogue. That timeline seems to line up very closely with the timeline of the history of this blight. blight. That we still don't know a lot about. Right. All we know is that it started about 50 years ago. Yes. So, Serial spills some serious tea. Probably would have spilled more. If it wasn't for some very, very scary creatures that come to kill them. The Naga are, in my opinion, the perfect evil creature. And finally, with a name that befits them. It actually sounds scary. Because the second I heard him say the Naga, I was like, I mean, listen to this. The Naga was sprung from a nightmare, covered in dark scales and nothing more. They were a horrendous combination of serpentine features and male humanoid bodies Mm -mm. whose powerful arms ended in polished black Flesh shredding talons. <laughs> Yuck. I don't know why they might they might be. Do you know like what it actually is? Like, do you know what I just ones. thought of that's what? gonna kind of ruin this for us? Oh Jessica, don't say it. I thought of Randall from Monsters Inc. <laughs> <laughs> but like really scary. Scary Randall? Yeah, like if Randall Did was Randall really scare scary. You as a kid? I mean, he wasn't like Sully. He's scaly and sinister. But imagine if Randall was like huge and like black mm-hmm. and had really sharp teeth and horrible talons. Farah frees the cereal, which she did not have to do. She could have left the cereal mm-hmm. and just run and hoped that they would have stayed to take the easier prey. But she did, in fact, free the cereal, which then places the target solely on herself, herself. because the cereal vanishes immediately. So she screams. As instructed. As instructed, she screams, and then she runs. She runs, and she puts up a hell of a fight. Well, it's kind of like we get an indicator of she has been honing her survival skills and her quick thinking since she was, what, how old? 11 or Well, she doesn't panic. No, she just goes straight into, like, fight and then I'm going to flight. She fights and flights at the same time, and sort she, of. And she is so switched on while it's happening. She's like, this is what I have to do to survive. You know what she does here? She levels up. Oh, then- 100%. Because we've been spending all of these chapters with her thus far. She's, she's terrified. She's second-guessing herself. She's shaming herself. She's guilty. She's constantly kind of tearing herself down. And she's also playing her cards very close to her chest, like being very mm-hmm. careful about what she says out loud. Again, yeah. like always thinking of survival, mm-hmm. how she's coming across. Yep. And all of a sudden in this scene, I feel like we really see everything that she is capable of. She's not afraid. I mean, she is afraid, but she's not trapped by that fear. And like She's not she- paralyzed by that fear. She's She's like... Fine, if these things are going to eat me, if these things are going to take me down, then I'm going to take at least one of them down with me. Oh, yeah. And she does kill one. Mm-hmm. She's, like, running through thorns. Things are slashing at her face. She careens through a thicket. 
as thorns Ouch. rip at her cheeks. She's getting torn up here. Mm-hmm. But, of course, these things are large and scary and serpentine and very, very fast. And eventually they do kind of catch up to her. She doesn't go down without a fight. She tells one to go to hell. Also, just nightmare fuel. The idea of being trapped and pinned to the ground. And told that you're going to die a very slow, painful death. Horrible. Really not fun. But just as she thinks that she is about to die, after she's been told she's going to be bled nice and slow. So sadistic. As as the Naga's talons wiggle. (laughs) Not the wiggling talons. The wiggling talons. <clears throat> the Naga opened his mouth again and a bone-shattering roar sounded through the clearing, only it hadn't come from the creature's throat. This is that moment. This is this is even better than the bandaging trope. Yeah, the moment This is where, the rescue. Where you finally see, oh, that's what this person I've been crushing on is capable of. Well, and she knows he's the High Lord now. Yeah. Which makes it all the more exciting for us. So Tamlin just shreds these Naga Shreds through them. With ease. He kills them. It's very impressive. And Feyre is just like shaking on the ground, recovering from her almost death. Can't I mean, even get up. It's, you know. Traumatizing. Very traumatizing. traumatizing. The adrenaline is out of control. And then once Tamlin has disposed of the Naga... He gently approaches her. Yes, but forget not that there is still primal fury and feral rage burning in his eyes. Feral rage smoldered in his gaze. Oh, no. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. Why are we so attracted to acts of violence when they're done in the name of love? <laughs> Listen, once again, <laughs> the damsel in distress trope, it's a classic for a reason. Listen, it's the whole sweep you off your feet thing. It's the romantic at heart. It's just, it's good stuff. And also, it's the way that they go from tearing the world apart. Oh, and they're so scary. And, and to being like, oh my god, are you okay? And what can I do for you? And completely melting yeah. for you. Oh. So good. I think that my blood pressure changes as I read and these. He things. hasn't even taken off his tunic yet. Yeah, so he then, because. Oh my god, wait, first he unbuckles his baldric slowly, doesn't he? While he's like looking at her, talking to her. Yeah, it's again. a problem. And, mm-hmm. um, and then he, without being asked, because Feyre's tunic is apparently shredded from the Naga, he just takes his shirt off and he gives it to her. And she ignores the cut of his muscles beneath his white shirt. <laughs> so this is something else we got to discuss. As if. She, in these five In order chapters, to ignore them, you have to first acknowledge let them. Let me just say that mentions of Tamlin's muscles. Several times. Increased by like 300% during these five chapters. Three X <laughs> increase in mentions of Tamlin's physique. It is and like and like when he comes back from hunting the boggy, she's like, oh my god, I forgot how huge he is. Feyre, you are horny. Just admit it. It's I okay. Mean, but it's even like it's even just enough to have a crush like that. Because oh my god. intense crushes are so like being in their presence is so overwhelming. Oh my god. Do you remember in high school where like you would Oh like, my god, you yes. get your schedule and like you you wonder who was in your class and if your crush is in the same class. My as crush you? was in my driver's ed class and we sat next to each other oh and I no. was burning red every single day, 
the entire class and like god forbid the teacher should call on me because i was like so scared to say anything like couldn't fool the actual one no my <laughs> mouth went so dry and my face went beet red that, that could not me. it was all <laughs> over my face all the time i was always the girl in middle school too like everybody could figure out who i liked all the time because if i was yeah. ever partnered with them in, in class for anything i would just get so red oh jessica it was so embarrassing <laughs> So, like, to have a crush on a high lord, I feel for her so much because that would just be so intense. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, she's received a lot of information very quickly, and then he just busts out of the trees and saves her from and she's covered in like gross nasty naga guts and her shirt is all torn up. And then he puts his hand like on her face. Oh, my God, and he heals her. Those of you without the visual with aid, <laughs> Jessica has slumped back in her chair. It's unclear if she'll be joining us. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, it's a problem too when they heal you. Have we shown our favorite fan art of Tamlin yet? Oh no, but we'll put that up. Dominique Wesson, you are ugly. If you're not familiar with her yet, and if you are in the market for hard copies of Akatar, we highly recommend that you look up Dominique Wesson's yes. dust mm-hmm. jackets. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. I love, I love her, her artwork. I think it is so beautiful. Her Tamlin especially yeah. is so good. So Sa- Tamlin saves Feyre. And we're not noticing his muscles. Like, at all. And we're not flustered by the Mm -hmm. fact that he's given her his tunic. And everything is fine. He's just walking around shirtless. Everything is chill. And they're just gonna go home together. Doesn't he say, let's go home? He says something along those lines. I think he says, let's go home. Yeah, he says, let's go home. home. And then our chapters end. So much happens. This is the best one yet. I know. This is because, you know why? This is where it starts to get really good. I knew and I said that earlier in this episode. I was like, this is the this is the starting line for me. Alright, so that, if you are still with us, we are at this time going to transition out of our main section and into our spoiler section. Thank you so much for listening. If you are tuning out at this time, we cannot wait to discuss. Yes, know, please come back. Through, we're going to do 16 through 19. It's enough already that we ask our listeners to be listening to us for an hour. So lots more wonderful content to come. Thank you so much. We are now entering spoiler land. Tune out. We are entering spoiler land. Spoilers for Akatar. Spoilers for Throne of Glass. Spoilers for Crescent City. If you do not want the spoilers, please, 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 please protect yourself. Exit now and we will see you very soon. All right. We are now in the spoiler section. Yes. We can relax a little bit. We don't have to hold our tongue. I think this is going to be an efficient spoiler section. Yeah, we, we took a look a at the lot. we took a look at the <laughs> clock and we were like, "Oh, we're doing this a while." Well, we just had so much great content to yeah. cover in the non-spoiler section that I think there's just a couple just a couple of yeah. extra nuggets. A few of our favorite easter eggs, if you will. I guess I don't even know if I would call them easter eggs so much as things that stood out while we Things that just hit different now knowing what we know. It makes the scenes a little bit richer. Like, for example, yes. this first, right at the beginning, after the encounter with the 
non-menacing puka. When Feyre asks Tamlin if he was trained as a warrior, and mm. he says yes, he spent his youth on the border with his father's war bands, and we know... Yes, and he says running these lands was not supposed to fall to me. Right. And, and he, he seems really upset when he says this. Yes, it's clearly something that really, really weighs on him, and Feyre thinks it's and just... And so much so that she doesn't actually want to follow up with him, because she's right. like, wow, this looks like really personal. And she just initially thinks of like, oh wow, yeah, he has this burden that was never supposed to be his Mm -hmm. but it was really cool to read it back and know that what he's carrying is so much more than that because there is this huge piece of history with him and and Reese. Because yeah. when he was training as a warrior and growing up, with it was the Illyrians. with the Illyrians, and he was with Reese, and they were all they like were brothers. And knowing how horribly that all and how taught that relationship apart, now is, and and he's carrying that weight, and there's just so much that Feyre doesn't know, but we we, we now do. know. So reading that back, I really I felt for him because how do you how do you explain that to a mortal? person who has only lived 19 years and how do you explain who who is still uh, figuring out who she is right still is on such a one track mind yeah she's just found out that she no longer has to uphold this vow so her world's being turned upside down now is not the time for this story but it's like Feyre does immediately notice like something here. Is, she picks up that mm-hmm. there is a weight that he's carrying, and she just has no idea how immense it is. And it's just so fun going back and reading this because I actually do believe, given everything we know about Tamlin Leda, and I still do believe that this is a huge regret of his. How this all turned out. Oh, like absolutely. I, I still think there is part of this story that we as readers don't fully know yet, even having read everything that oh, I she's hope written. You're right. Like, I really hope you're right. I mean, you know, I'm here for the Tamlin yeah. redemption. Yeah, and the reason I feel that way is because I have re I've tried to reread this piece of Tamlin's mm-hmm. and Reese's history, and I still don't fully understand it. Like, I feel that is something right, that because is you're not... just like, how did it? How did it get here? And I know that their fathers played a big yes. role in it but it still seems I agree with I you. don't have clarity I agree with you there is there is and it's still, shrouded in some kind of mystery there is still a piece of it where I'm like that doesn't make sense though yes and if I know anything about female intuition it's that <laughs> when something doesn't make sense to us it's because we don't have the full picture exactly we can always tell mm-hmm when there's a piece missing from the big the picture. Puzzle. So I really, I hope you're right. I hope we get yeah. a little bit more about that history because yeah. it's rich. It is really rich and it was cool to see it. You know, when you read it for the first time, you have no way of picking Literally up Literally just but, swept it under the rug. But when you read it back, it's very cool to know that that's what he's thinking about. And I had another moment early on in these chapters in the study. It's it's after the infirmary, so it's after he's made this con this comment to Feyre about running these lands was never supposed to fall to me. She starts to think to herself that they actually have a little bit in common because She's the youngest of her family. Mm. Their survival was never supposed to fall to her. Yeah. And she she feels like all of a sudden they have this sort of shared burden that they've been thrust into. It's really interesting when he leaves the study, she kind of chastises herself like she does. And she's like, oh, I'm so foolish to think he would have ever seen me, you know, as an equal. That he would have ever seen me in this way. Yeah. And I realized this is potentially, I think, one of Tamlin's biggest 
missteps. Because I think they do, she's right. Like, she identifies that correctly. They do have this in common. But Tamlin either misses it or chooses not to acknowledge it. Yeah. Whereas Reese does see that in her. Yeah. And he does respect that about her. And he lets her see all of the weight that he's been carrying around. And the way that he took the survival of his chosen family onto his shoulders. The way that she took the survival of her biological family onto her shoulders. It's through that connection that they really form this... They're on the same plateau. They're on the same They're equals because they're mates. (laughs) (laughs) And I... No, seriously, I was reading it and I was like, wow, this is a moment where Tamlin could have seen her as an equal. And we know about mates is that they are their... They are each other's perfect equal. They might not be in exactly the same way. No. But they... But they see and recognize and respect in each other this similar struggle and responsibility that they've had to bear in different ways and tamlin just never saw that he never saw that in her own struggles first and and feyre saw it in him and so it just oh it's so it was tough for me because i find myself rooting for tamlin as i read this book like come on dude and it's one of those things where it was it was a missed opportunity because she sees that and she would have been willing to explore that but he he couldn't he couldn't open his eyes or his heart. Oh, Jess, I to love that, that to that connection with her. Yeah, it oh, was something really that struck me as I was rereading it that there it could have been, and I think that's why it feels so real because there was so much potential between Farah and Tamlin. Oh, absolutely. And he just didn't. I mean, she wrote a whole book about it. Yeah, very tough stuff. Then we go to tough. the I mural. I know, we all want, well, we actually, that's not true. We don't that's all want one. That's a divisive topic. It really is. And, and it is something that, once again, wherever you fall on this spectrum of feelings for Tamlin is... Totally valid. Is totally valid and worthy of respect. I personally would love to see him get a redemption arc. Me too. And a happy ending. Me too. That is also why there I read these books sometimes. There is goodness in him. And, and I think another thing that SJM does a really good job of is she doesn't write the archetypal hero good or, guy bad you know, guy pure well some of her characters are uh, pure evil and but that's some of her necessary. main heroines and heroes are very fractured people they're they are very complicated complex. they're very complex i'm sorry look at nesta she's a bitch she's my favorite character and you have to allow them space for growth Mm-hmm. You know, a character who Amen. has just always done the right thing from the beginning is very boring. I agree. Uh, the second, I guess the third, little nugget we wanted to pull out was this mural. And this is something that we are going to be coming back to. We found a theory. It's at Emily's Theories on TikTok. Yes. At Emily's Theories on TikTok. We will be linking to it in the caption of our video on YouTube. We will also be linking to it on our social channels. It is an incredible incredibly well thought out theory i've poured over this theory i'm obsessed with it we're gonna go over it in phases yes as we learn more about the cauldron read us the description a mighty black cauldron held by glowing slender female hands in a starry endless night those hands tipped it over golden sparkling liquid pouring out over the lip no not sparkling but effervescent With small symbols, perhaps of some ancient fairy language, whatever was written there, whatever it was, the contents of the cauldron were dumped into the void below, 
cooling on the earth to form our world. So the main things we just want to call out from, and we will continue to reference this as the yes. relevant points come up yes. throughout the series. And again, a very, very well-formed, intricate theory that yeah. is, there's a lot to it. So I just want to jump a little bit into this very first piece of it, which is the theory goes that these slender female hands that tip over the cauldron are in fact the hands of Aelin Ashrevek Alanthinius, <laughs> the queen of Terrison. Oh my god. Can I just tell you how much I need this theory to be true? I know. Because she's your I absolute favorite. I need this theory to be true. I need Aelin well, to be... Well, because it would explain why... Okay, so the theory because is... Because their other, their other sort of deity is the mother. But I think most importantly, if this entire world comes from the cauldron, the power of the cauldron created this mm -hmm. world, the power is described in the same way that Aelin's powers are described. And she loses. She gave all of her power. She poured all yes. of her power into forging yes. the word gate. Yes. And, and there were three three stones and there are three <laughs> legs on the cauldron and there's lots of other tidbits to this that we're gonna get into but the other thing that really stood out to me here was small symbols perhaps of some ancient fairy language if this doesn't scream word marks to you you haven't read throne of glass and you should read throne of glass and you should read throne of glass you should run <laughs> not walk to your bookstore or on amazon and read throne of glass because is it, that is, is a wild ride that is immediately what this made me think of and again yeah. because we know that sjm doesn't put little details in here like this for no reason i don't believe in coincidences to begin with and i definitely don't believe in coincidence when i'm reading a sarah j mass book yeah because even the tiniest details mm. even while rereading stuff i don't notice details that she drops in and then she has the big reveal, and you're like, seriously, I reread that? I didn't even notice that? Yeah. And it all seems so clear at the end. Right. So, I agree. Not a mistake. Yeah. So, again, we will link to this full theory, because it's really, really good. And if you all have other theories about the please cauldron, about the multiverse, us. please send them in to us. We are always looking for more. Yeah. And yeah, I am like, trying to limit my time on TikTok these days, because there's only so many hours in the day, and <laughs> it's just very easy to... Get sucked in. Get sucked in. So, yeah, but the but long and short of it is, is that we think that Aelin might have created Prithian by accident. I really want this to be true. I need all three of our heroines to be in the same room together. Yeah. We're so close. We're so close. Okay. Anyways. We are running out of time, so let's continue on to a very quick little note, but one... One extra note about Lucian's bedroom, because we just can't stop talking about Lucian's bedroom. Because it's we so all hot. want to be that. We couldn't say this in the non-spoiler section. It is our first nod to Lucian's heritage, a.k.a. the Autumn Court. Yes, it is. Which is interesting because you really only ever hear Lucian talk about his upbringing and his family with disdain. Mm -hmm. I mean, he speaks about a lot of things with disdain, which we love about It is him. his modus operandi. But it was interesting to me reading this because it's like he clearly misses it. It's his it's bedroom. This is why you. Home. This is why you spend over a third of your life. This is supposed to be your sacred place, your peaceful yeah. place. And he has decked his out in green and brown and red and gold. But he never like an autumn wood. ever expresses a wish to anyone to go back. His inner sanctum, his private space, he has very intentionally made to feel like he's home. The autumn court. 
And it makes me wonder. It also makes you think, where does he really think his home is? Yes. It makes me wonder if he does want to go back because he never says that. No, never. But we do know that he feels like he doesn't really have a home, which is tough. And which is sad. So maybe this is just a small. There is definitely more delusion than than meets the eye. A small way for him to feel like he does have some sort of home, even if it's just in his room. And then finally, we will finish our spoiler section with this little tidbit. Everybody who's read everyone's favorite moment from everyone's favorite character. The cereal spilling all of the tea all of the time. Such loves the drama. The cereal loves the drama. (laughs) When the cereal says, stay stay with with the high Lord. Lord. SJM, you dog. I don't even think that needs to be. I don't think we need to I talk about it. I have no notes. It. Genius. Those are my notes. Utter genius. Utter genius. We love the cereal. Thank, Thank you, you all. everyone for joining us. This has been my favorite episode so far. Mine too. And we love all of you for sticking with us and being a part of this with us. These books really would not be what they are. I don't think without, without the, community the community that surrounds exactly. them and the love that we all have for them. So thank you all. We will be back very soon with yes. episode four of... A Quarter Thorns and Roses. And a reminder to please follow us on Instagram at the underscore greatest genre, on Twitter at greatest genre, and you can email us at thegreatestgenre at gmail.com. We would love to hear all of your thoughts and opinions and feedback. Send us your favorite fictional fairy boyfriend. We can debate later on. We'll see you guys next time. See you soon. Bye.